Welcome to the Hello First Name Podcast. The Hello First Name Podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holin, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Chapter 12. Content Part 2. Content Feeds. Pierre-Luigi's engagement team had just completed a total redesign of their strategy to get HBO Max users to consume content more often on the platform. Based on their findings, they'd noted how users' behavior on the platform differed substantially between weekdays and weekends. They had found that users were more likely to watch whole movies during weekends, while during weekdays, users were more likely to watch and complete series episodes. It seemed like an easy win to implement simple personalization and push the right type of title on the right days. On weekdays, they would showcase mainly series on users' homepages, and at weekends, the homepages would be flooded with movies. This had already been implemented on the web application and was so far viewed as a successful strategy. Had Pierre been less experienced, he might have stopped there. But further research had shown that specific users actually did the opposite and watched movies on weekdays and binge-watched entire series at weekends. The right solution was to bring this down to an individual level so as to showcase the right titles for each user. The hypothesis was that a truly personalized experience would bring additional viewership and stickiness, in other words, hours per week, to the platform. Both the app and the homepage would become the equivalent of a personalized foyer for each registered user. Pierce team started with a sandbox test, where only a pool of users would be exposed to the new experience and their usage would be compared to that of the existing static variant. Users exposed to the test would have a personalized homepage, showcasing different titles based on what they and users with similar behavior watched at specific times of the day and on specific days of the week. After a month of experimentation, the sandbox users had a higher completion rate and, most importantly, a higher variety of titles consumed along with higher average hours per week spent on the platform, all key success factors for user retention. Expanding from the sandbox test to full implementation for all users would still take months of back-end product work, but the road to full personalization was never meant to be an easy one. As we covered in Chapter 6, content that is used in personalization comes in two kinds. We've already covered the messages, where you address segments and moments of truth creatively. See chapters 8 and 10. But not all content has to be created or even modified by marketers. This content is fed from other sources, such as your product information management system, your website, your article database, your enterprise resource planning, ERP system, and other similar sources. In the case of most retailers, the products are fed from the PIM system and the articles from the website. In the cage of HBO Max, all the shows come from the underlying application database. Just like HBO Max has movies, series and episodes, most organizations have some kind of offering at scale, such as products, courses, articles, fitness exercises, podcasts, songs, playlists, hotels, holiday homes, houses, shows, 
classes, events, and so on. So if the marketer can't modify the content, what is there to do, you may ask yourself? Well, quite a lot, actually. According to the bow tie of personalization, the content you choose to show to specific customers should ideally match both the segment and the moment of truth of those customers. Thus, in the case of HBO Max, if it appeared that an individual user had a preference for watching movies on weekdays, judging by their viewing history, then a relevant content feed of movies would be shown on weekdays. In a brilliant YouTube video about personalizing the listening experience, Munia Lalmas from Spotify actually refers to these separate content feeds as shelves. The company has shelves of songs, albums, artists and playlists. Relating this back to the HBO Max example, Pierre's team could also show a feed of similar movies to provide alternatives, with a dynamically inserted message explaining why the movies were being shown, such as because you watched dollar sign title name. This would provide the customer with some context to enable them to better understand why each feed was being shown. The customer's first clicks or interactions on a web page, product search for instance, will quickly reveal more about their intent. In chapter 11, we discussed how the message is the most important part to personalize when you're working outbound. In other words, sending messages out to customers through either owned media or paid advertising, search marketing excluded, since a search with intent is needed to initiate these ads. This doesn't mean that emails should not include content feeds, but obviously they fit poorly into a subject line or a text message, to say the least. That's why personalizing content feeds is more of a big deal when working inbound. Using content properties to group, sort, rank, filter, and mark. Within each type of content feed, the content bits will share the same format and properties. For instance, products might all have a name, a category, a brand name, a color, a size, product images, and so on. Articles could all have a title, an excerpt, a header image, a URL, body text, and so on. You can provide great value as a marketer by deciding how to group, sort, rank, filter, and mark content when presenting it to customers of different segments and in different moments of truth. Generic grouping of content. Grouping products is about selecting and showing products that share the same properties to make navigation easy. The most common version should be to show a specific category of products, for instance, underwear or men's clothes. Sometimes the category correlates strongly with your top segments. Someone browsing for children's clothing has a strong likelihood of belonging to your parents' segment. More detailed content groups can relate to color, type, style, occasion, and need. If you've done your user-centered research for the website properly, then the specific options available for style, location, and need should match the most important moments of truth in your customer journey. Your high-level content groups will most likely map one-to-one -one onto most or even all of the category pages on your website or the screens in your app. You might then allow customers to browse your full product catalog based on gender, for instance on hm.com, occasions, for instance weddings, anniversaries or funerals when browsing flower gifts on interflora.com, or concern, for instance dryness, acne or fine lines when browsing beauty products on sephora.com. Behavioral data indicating extensive clicking and browsing of these category pages can provide powerful indications of customer intent and trigger communications that serve relevant content and advice. So if, for instance, you've seen customers browsing the dry skin section of your website, you can follow up with a personalized message about how to relieve dry skin and a feed of articles and products that can help these customers do so. 
Another idea would be to group products for which there is an attractive discount at a given time and periodically send these super discounts out to a segment of customers who have consistently bought stuff on sale. Advanced grouping of content. Another dynamic way of grouping the content in a feed is by personal relation to the content. In the HBO app, this would be the groups carrying headlines such as My List, Continue Watching, or even For You. The first two clearly aren't algorithmically determined, but a reminder of something the customer already did. They function in the same way as a wish list, a list of favorites, a list of products in an abandoned basket, or a list of previously bought items. They are highly personalized, but are intended to encourage frequency as opposed to inspiration. The content shown in HBO Max's For You is clearly the result of an algorithm, though. Based on previous data, this is the algorithm's best guess about which shows you will next want to watch across all categories. If the algorithm has very little data to work with for one specific customer, the suggested shows will most likely resemble the list of generally popular shows. Perhaps you've also noticed because you watched dollar sign title name as a headline for a group of shows in your preferred streaming app. In this case, there's something deeper at play. Based on a similarity matrix for all shows, for instance, data on which shows are most often watched by the same people, the algorithm picks one of the shows or series you watched the most and recommends series that are closely related to this show in particular. Imagine the total number of potential combinations at play here, all shows related to all other shows. The retail version of Because You Watched Dollar Sign Title Name is the product feeds that appear on product details pages and shopping basket pages. Typically, they appear below the actual product or basket in question. In the first content feed shown on a product details page, you'll normally want to show alternatives to the product and, immediately below that, complementary products such as accessories. On the basket page, you'll remove any friction and not raise any unnecessary doubt. So, assuming the products are the right ones for the customer, you'll try to optimize basket size by leaving out substitutional products and showing complementary ones. The headline could almost be products in baskets similar to yours. Speaking of headlines, the importance of an insightful headline should not be neglected. An experiment conducted by Martin Jonasson, former head of intelligence at the Swedish audiobook company Storytel, saw a 30% uplift in performance, measured in clicks, from a feed of audiobooks when the headline was changed to because you dollar sign recommendation reason, as opposed to just popular. This is clearly a case where explicit personalization beats implicit personalization. Sorting and ranking. Naturally, properties can also be used to sort products and other content within a feed. On most e-commerce sites, the default sorting will be the opaque option of sort by relevance. If there is a product recommendation tool at play, then this will algorithmically determine the sorting on an individual basis. Provided that there's any unique data to use, this will be different from customer to customer. Clicking around a few category pages, searching a bit, and adding a few products to a wish list should ultimately change the ranking of products within a product feed or on a category page, for example. If there are a few data points available, or if there's no algorithm to do the sorting, then there will be a strong resemblance between sorting by relevance and sorting by popularity. For a website, all you need to do is decide on the default sorting and the customer can then later change, customize it. In an email, obviously you have to decide on the one parameter on which to sort the content. Relevance is a good default, but perhaps include a second block 
aim at the segment of bargain hunters with a content feed that is sorted by discount showing them the best current deals. Filtering. Customers mostly use filtering to customize the content shown on a category page of a website or app, or on a search results page. Customers can filter based on available sizes, brands, subcategories and so on. This is essentially customization and not personalization. Each time a filter is set, however, this creates a new virtual subcategory page that says something about the customer's intent, which can then be used to re-engage the customer if nothing ends up in their basket. An outbound message following up on such a browsing session would typically include a more or less similar filtering of the products. If you have the content for it, then the message could also include more information on the category or brand. You might also include a buying guide, which could actually help the customer move closer to a purchasing decision and not just show an echo of what they were already looking at. If a customer has looked at 50 or more kitchen mixers, it won't be extra product options that will drive them closer to a purchase. A buying guide might, however. When working with content feeds in outbound communication, such as emails, you might want to consider additional filtering. Beware here of the danger of being considered creepy or inappropriate. See chapter 4. Consider which products you do not wish to send out because they could either hurt someone's feelings or be considered inappropriate. For instance, Matas.dk sells health and beauty products, including intimate vibrators. These products would never be included in a triggered product recommendation as they've been filtered out. Who wants to risk receiving an email with an extensive list of vibrators while they are at work? Very few people. They could, however, be snug in as one interesting product in a more diverse mix of products. This method is closely related to the example of the American retailer target discussed in Chapter 3. If your products or your message could be perceived as controversial, hurtful, or just plain embarrassing, then be more subtle and implicit in the way that you present the content. Marking. One last way of using properties is to highlight content that shares certain properties. For example, this can be done by dynamically putting an eco label on all products in a feed that are produced ecologically, or marking all products that are on sale with a discount ribbon. Or, as in the case of the Danish e-commerce grocery store, Nemli.com, you could personalize the product feed by highlighting previously bought products for the individual customer with a small heart. In Chapter 9, we discussed retail media as a way of creating an extra revenue stream for many companies. In most countries, it is required by law to mark sponsored product listings with a small sponsored label in line with the product listing. Personalizing content feeds. Many of the above tactics don't necessarily involve personalization. Customers who visit inbound platforms, such as websites and apps, already have an intention when they do so. And a large part of your work as a marketer is to reduce friction for customers trying to do what they intend to do. In general, customers will be okay with navigating a website to the category they wish to browse. As Amazon has clearly proven, though, including personalized product recommendations on a website can greatly improve performance. McKinsey has estimated that as early as 2013, 35% of Amazon's sales came from personalized recommendations. Needless to say, Amazon has continued working on its proprietary algorithm since then. It is not the purpose of this book to deep dive into the inner workings of the algorithms in use, as this is a whole science in itself. If you think about it, however, there are many personalization tactics to consider when you include content feeds as an element within personalization. We've even come across a company that supported its sustainability agenda by training algorithms to mix vegetable burgers into the product category for minced meat and barbecue products. 
If you can determine where in the customer lifecycle a specific customer is, namely which moment of truth they are in, then you can group or filter the content feeds you show accordingly. So imagine you have a shopper on your website of your sports show brand. And your insights indicate that she is in an explorative mindset, perhaps browsing the men's section loosely. Your algorithm should carefully check out which categories she is most likely to buy from and, in a follow-up email, include products from those categories. If you've also figured out that, based on her full purchase history, she is part of the gift shopper segment, then why not include a group of products that are commonly bought as gifts within a comparable price range to further help her on her way? Carefully consider how to present your content feeds, based on both segments and moments of truth. And carefully consider which content feeds to show, hide or prioritize over others. The right feed means more than the ranking within it. Imagine you're in a store. What is more frustrating? Not being able to find the right shelf or not being able to find the right product on that shelf. As consumers, we're okay with browsing a little if we believe we're looking on the right shelf. It could even be that finding a specific brand of pesto didn't mean that much to us after all. That's why it's more important to show and label the optimal content feeds than it is to rank the content bits within the feeds. Pierluigi's team at the beginning of this chapter discovered this when they did some additional research. Conventional wisdom would suggest that consistency would be important for users, but it turned out that this wasn't the case. Through testing, HBO Max found that it achieved better performance by personalizing not only the ranking of shows within specific rows, but also the sorting of the rows themselves. Taking the lessons from this example into outbound communication, for instance email, makes the point kind of obvious. In an email you have static content feeds, made static at the moment they are sent out. So you need to think carefully about which content feeds to include, depending on both the segment and the moment of truth. Don't send a customer a Black Friday email with a feed of women's offers if you know they normally shop men's. Don't send an offer relating to mountain bikes if a customer has only ever shown interest in road bikes. These are essentially the same as floating rows. You have to make a personalization decision about which rows to include in each particular occasion and content. Echo chambers or sources of inspiration. In the public debate around social media, the terms filter bubbles and echo chambers have seen the light of day. They refer to the fact that we as human beings feel better and less challenged if we aren't presented with information or content that is too far from our preferences and thus creates cognitive dissonance. The criticism is that on Facebook, for instance, the algorithm will slowly filter out posts that don't resonate with our political beliefs. The algorithm supposedly does this simply by watching how we like and comment over time, for instance, gauging our positive and negative sentiment, and slowly showing us more and more posts from people we already agree with. Ultimately, we are no longer presented with opinions that differ much from our own. If we take this analogy into how we work with personalization of content feeds, there are some similarities. For example, Spotify has proven that the same mechanisms around cognitive dissonance also apply to which songs we prefer in recommendations. The more artists diverge from what users normally listen to, the lower their satisfaction when these are recommended. But there's a sweet spot where a certain amount of diversity is okay and doesn't compromise satisfaction too much. This knowledge can be used in personalization tactics. For instance, in retail when sending out we miss you emails. It teaches us that for those customers where we are lacking frequency, we should select products and offers that are closely related to their previous history from within their filter bubble, 
so as to create as little cognitive dissonance as possible in encouraging them to come back. For the customers where we don't have an issue with frequency, but where we are lacking share of wallet, for instance where customers are spending more on other brands, we can instead try our luck with recommending products from other categories. There needs to be a careful balance though. You need to experiment and find the right level of diversity. Of all your products that a customer is less likely to be interested in, which are they most likely to buy and thus which are most likely to improve their customer lifetime value? If you're able to convince high-frequency buyers to start buying from another category of your inventory, you can potentially increase their customer lifetime value to a whole new level. In order to optimize value in both the short-term and the long-term, in all emails and on all high-level category pages, you should consider including multiple content feeds that are more or less diverse or relevant in what they contain. Using content feeds wisely. Content feeds are very important for delivering value to customers on all inbound platforms. Not all feeds need to be personalized, however, as there will always be people interested in new products or top sellers. The most important thing to personalize is which feeds to include in your communications and making that selection personalized, not showing the same feeds to everyone. Personalized content feeds are also important when working with outbound communication. However, they are not as important as the message that encourages the recipient to open an email or tap on a notification. Thank you for listening in on this episode of Hello First Name. Remember that all models and even a written abstract of the book are available for download. You'll find the link in the show notes. In our next episode, which is a more classical podcast style, we'll be discussing the chapter you just listened to, namely Content Part 2 Content Feeds, with this chapter's protagonist Pierre-Louis Gispagna, EMEA VP of Retention and Engagement at Warner Bros. Discovery.